This episode is brought to you by Horror Quickies. If you like horror anthology books, this is for you. Over 80 tales of terror told in a true story style that will curdle your blood and send shivers down your spine. Horror Quickies, the complete series, is only $2.99 on Amazon or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Go to Amazon.com and search for Horror Quickies or just go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood Maniac on the Loose. Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. Killer coffee. Turkish roast. My name is Charles. I'm 47 and I'm an avid coffee drinker. There's a quaint tiny coffee shop just around the corner. They have the most robust, flavorful Turkish roast I've ever had. Before I get started with my day, I always stop in there for a hot cup of java. A few months ago I started taking notice of a fiery redhead that was consistently there when I arrived. She always sat alone at a corner table. I couldn't help but stare at her. Her hair looked like literal flames, and I could tell it wasn't a dye job. This was an authentic, fiery redhead, a rare breed to be sure. I guess one day I stared too long and she caught me. Her striking soft green eyes were friendly and she smiled. I could have just slinked away shyly, but opted to make conversation instead. This is definitely not my style. I'm an extreme introvert, but there was something about her that made me break out from my shell. That conversation led to more conversations. We'd sit at her corner table and chat the mornings away. Eventually, I invited her over to my house, and we had sex. This became our normal routine. We'd meet at the coffee shop, have one of the best cups of coffee on this planet, and then come back to my house and have sex. Yesterday, after concluding another session of amazing sex, my fiery redhead kissed me goodbye and departed. Five minutes later, there was a knock at my door. I opened the door, expecting it to be my fiery redhead. Perhaps she forgot something, or maybe she came back for another long, passionate kiss. Instead, I was greeted by a petite man with a pencil mustache wearing a black derby blower hat. He was pointing a revolver at my face. 
The woman you were just with was my wife. I was mortified and spoke honestly when I said, I'm sorry, I had no idea she was married. He didn't seem to care. I could see the determination in his eyes. His voice was quite matter-of-fact in tone. I'm going to kill you. Without a doubt, he meant it, and I was seconds away from my death unless I could do some fast talking. Again, being an introvert, this isn't my best quality. I figured the best thing I could do was be honest with the man. Before you kill me, just hear me out. I'm a single guy. She did not tell me she was married. I assume she was single too. And obviously, I don't have to explain to you what a beautiful woman she is. So, I mean, ask yourself this. If you were a single man and had the opportunity to have a fling with a gal like that, wouldn't you? Something in the man's eyes changed. I could see that his mind was working and his determination was melting away. Finally, he took a few steps back, lowered the gun, and began to nod. Yes, I... I suppose I would. He looked down at the floor for a few seconds and then back up at me. She didn't tell you she was married? I shook my head and I wasn't lying. No, no, she never said one word about being married, I swear. His entire body seemed to relax before he spoke again. You're right. I have no quarrel with you. It's her. I'm going to kill her. With that, he exited my house. I immediately called the fiery redhead. She was rather shocked that I had her phone number because she never gave it to me. You see, while she was in the bathroom, I went into her phone and obtained the number. Did I say she was shocked? Actually, she was pissed and started yelling at me for calling her. I was able to cut her off and let her know that her husband was just here and was on her way to kill her. I could hear her repeating the words, oh my gosh, over and over. Finally, she returned to her yelling tone, told me never to call her again, and hung up. The next morning, I went to the coffee shop and got my usual hot cup of Turkish roast. I sat down at our corner table. There was a newspaper sitting on a nearby chair. I picked it up and opened it. The headline of the paper read, Murdered. The picture of the person under the headline was that of the fiery redhead's husband. Killer coffee. Colombian roast. My name is Fred. I'm 57. There's a little coffee shop in town that I like to visit most mid-mornings. They have the best Colombian roast I've ever had. One morning, as I walked down the street toward the entrance of the coffee shop, I saw my wife emerge with a man. They were laughing and having a jolly fine time. I followed them to his house and watched through the window as they had sex. This became my regular routine. I would follow them from the coffee shop to his house and spy on them as they engaged in sexual acts. Then I'd go home. When my wife arrived home, she'd act as though everything were normal. She was quite convincing. I had no idea that my wife was such a talented actress. Over the weeks of observing my wife be unfaithful to me, my blood boiled, and today I reached my breaking point. 
I decided that after she leaves his house, I'm going to knock on his door. When he answers, I'm going to kill him. It seemed like an easy enough plan, and I was determined. I wasn't expecting to be talked out of it, especially by the man who was porking my wife. But he made sense. This was just some average-looking schlep that had the opportunity to have sex with a beautiful woman, and he took it. He didn't realize he was betraying anyone. It wasn't him I was angry at. It was her. She was the one who deserved to die. I didn't want to be one of these impulsive fools who made an emotional decision and then later wished they hadn't done so. I went to the coffee shop and after thoroughly thinking it through over a sensational steaming cup of Colombian roast, I made a decision. I'm going to kill her. Maybe it was the caffeine or maybe just the anxiousness of what I knew I was going to do, but I felt a sense of giddiness as I hurried home to my soon-to-be deceased wife. I wasn't going to waste any time. I was going to walk into the house, point the gun, and fire. I was ready and raring to go when I opened the door to my house, but I was taken by surprise at the shocking sight before me. Then I felt a thud on the back of my head, and everything went black. Killer coffee. New England roast. My name is Cheryl. I'm a 46-year-old fiery redhead. There's a wonderful little coffee shop I frequent daily. They have the absolute best New England roast I've ever had. I always sat and drank my coffee at a corner table. There was a tall man in his late 40s who usually came in after me. He would stare at me for unusually long periods of time. At first, it kind of gave me the creeps, but somewhere along the line, I began enjoying it. <laughs> Back in my prime, I turned heads on a regular basis. Now that I'm in my late 40s, not as many heads turn. I guess I was glad that someone still appreciated my beauty. God knows my husband doesn't. He doesn't look at me with interest. He's no longer aroused by me. We never have sex anymore. I guess I'm needy and was craving some attention, and this tall man, who appeared to enjoy a good Turkish roast, was giving it to me. I remember the first time I looked at him. He appeared nervous and shy, but apparently my smile still has some charm because, once I flashed it, he settled down and approached me. I hadn't intended to have an affair and certainly wasn't planning on it lasting as long as it had, but I have to admit, I was enjoying every second of it. I felt young again, alive again, but this was short-lived. Out of the blue, the man called me. I don't know how the hell he got my number. He must have gotten it from my phone when I was in the bathroom. Sneaky bastard. Who the hell does he think he is? Then he informed me that my husband was on his way over to kill me. Great. Just great. I told the Turkish roast-loving man never to call me again. Not that it mattered, because I was likely going to be dead in a few minutes anyhow. I could attempt to flee, but ultimately decided to stay here and face the music. I'd come clean to my husband, and he'd either kill me or he wouldn't. I was willing to accept whatever the consequences for my infidelity would be. 
When the door was kicked open, I was rather shocked to see the Turkish roast-loving man standing before me. Was he there to rescue me? Apparently not, as he immediately rushed to me and placed a chloroform rag over my face. The room began to spin, and I blacked out. Killer Coffee Turkish Roast Part 2 Hello, it's me again. Charles, the Turkish Roast Lover. When I first introduced myself, I don't think I mentioned that I'm a serial killer. In my basement, I have plenty of blondes and brunettes chained up, but I don't have a fiery redhead. I needed her for my collection. Then somehow we wound up having a relationship. I have to admit, before I met the fiery redhead, I was a virgin. Virgin in the sense that no woman prior to her had willingly allowed me to have sex with them. This was quite different for me, and I was enjoying it. Turns out she was married. I can't believe I talked her husband out of killing me. Huge mistake on his part. The relationship may have been over, but I still needed the fiery redhead for my collection. I decided to try to beat the husband to her house. I got her address from her phone, too. I got there and chloroformed her before her mind had a chance to figure out what was going on. I then tied her up. That's when her husband showed up. When I heard the doorknob turning, I quickly hid in the shadows. Apparently, he wasn't expecting to come home to find his wife bound and gagged. The shocked expression on his face was priceless. I found a cane propped up against the wall by the front door. I picked it up and bashed his brains in with it. Now, I'll take this fiery redhead home with me and officially add her to my collection. But first, I think I'll stop at the coffee shop and have me a piping hot cup of Turkish roast. Snowstorm Horror Stories Impact I'm a female. I live in northern Wisconsin. I was on my way home from work and got caught in the middle of an extreme snowstorm. These were the biggest, fattest flakes I'd ever seen, and I lived in this area all my life, so that's saying something. The last ten miles of my drive home take me down a dark, desolate road. The snow was piling up quick and my car wasn't the best in these conditions, so I was getting a little anxious. But still, I knew that if I drove slow and didn't make any sudden stops, I'd make it home just fine. Then, without warning, my windshield wipers froze up. They just stopped in mid-wipe. Within seconds, the onslaught of snowflakes covered my windshield, making it impossible for me to see. Before I could even move my foot to the brake pedal, I was jolted by the heavy impact of my car colliding with something. I jammed on my brakes which set my car into a wild spin before it finally came to a rest on the shoulder of the road. I was fine, just a bit shaken up from the shock of it all, but was concerned about what I had just hit. 
Whatever it was, it had to be huge. I opened my door and was met by a frigid blast of wintry air. The wind whistled and howled as I squinted through the massive flakes of snow, trying to determine what it was I had crashed into. I was expecting to see another car or maybe a deer, but there was nothing there. I was about to get back into my car when I noticed that the snow in the middle of the road was slightly discolored. I slowly approached the area. It took me a little while to figure out exactly what it was, but I came to a realization when I recognized that I was looking at a puddle of liquid. Red liquid. Blood. The heavy flakes were covering it quickly, but there was no doubt about it. That was blood. I looked closer and could make out that it trailed off of the side of the road and disappeared into the cloak of snow in the distance. It had to be a deer. It was injured and bloody, but well enough to get up and scurry away. That made total sense. Until I saw the footprints. They were gigantic, abnormally large. And let me make this clear, these were not shoe prints, they were footprints. And whoever left these prints wasn't wearing any shoes or socks, which in these conditions is nothing short of lunacy. And even though the footprints were very human-like, I never got the sense that they were in fact human. They were just too huge. I assumed that whatever it was that left these prints was gone until I heard it. Not far from the road, I heard an intense, high-pitched, screeching roar. I never heard anything like it. The closest I could compare it to is the angered wail of a chimpanzee. I stood frozen in terror when I saw it. Through the misty veil of the snowstorm, I could see it moving. I'm not entirely sure what it was, but I can tell you that it was standing upright and was walking away on two legs. I watched until it disappeared into the snowstorm. Snowstorm Horror Stories Breakdown I'm a 23-year-old waitress at a 24-hour diner. I was driving through a snowstorm on my way to work. It was mid-afternoon, so there weren't many other people on the road. The snow was thick and wet. It blanketed the entire road rapidly, and the temperature was well below freezing, so the top layer of the snow on the road was icing over, which made for extremely slick conditions. Normally I would have been much more cautious, but I was running late and I guess I was going too fast for these conditions because all of a sudden I started spinning out. Thankfully, no other vehicles were nearby because I spun over the center line and came to a rest on the shoulder of the other side of the road, facing the wrong direction. After I caught my breath and got my bearings, I tried to pull back out onto the road, but I wasn't moving and could hear my tires spinning. I was stuck in a ditch. Fortunately, my cell phone had service, so I called a tow truck company to come and rescue me. I figured they'd be super backed up with the roads the way they were, but I got lucky and they said they would be there within half an hour. 
I sat there for about 20 minutes before I even saw another car. And the one car I did see pulled over on the side of the road in front of me. It sat there for a couple of minutes. I could see the driver of the car was staring at me through his rearview mirror. After a couple more minutes, a lanky man with frizzy hair got out of the vehicle. He was wearing stained blue jeans and a filthy white thermal shirt. He kept warming his hands with his breath as he trotted over to the driver's side of my car door and knocked on the window. He appeared to be in his early 50s. His skin was rough and leathery and he was unshaven. There was something mean about his eyes and his voice was raspy when he asked me if I needed help. I rolled my window down just enough for him to be able to hear me. I thanked him for pulling over to check on me, but informed him that I already called the tow truck company and that they should be here any minute. He didn't like that. He stared at me long and hard and then finally said, Ain't no tow truck here, but I am, so open the damn door. I rolled up the window. This angered him. He slapped my window and said, Fine, bitch, before shuffling back to his car. He paced back and forth in front of his car for several minutes. I could see that he was talking to himself, but couldn't make out anything he was saying. He seemed to be growing more furious by the second. I was really scared. This weird guy was menacing and seemed crazy. I was so relieved when he got back into his car and started it. But as he tried to drive away, his back tire spun around in vain. He was stuck too. To my chagrin, he wasn't going anywhere. His car door flung open and then he slammed it shut. He started kicking the door of his car over and over as he yelled out every obscenity in the book. He was causing some serious damage to the door and then suddenly turned his head. His angry eyes locked onto me. This is your fault, bitch. His fists were clenched, and he took a step toward me. Before he could get close, I was saved by the arrival of the tow truck driver who pulled up next to me. The tow truck driver got out of his truck. It sounded like he asked the weird man a question, but the man didn't respond. He just stood there. Finally, the tow truck driver approached my vehicle. I could hear him as he asked me if I was okay. As I rolled my window down to answer him, my eyes focused on something behind the tow truck driver. It was the weird man. He had quietly snuck up behind the tow truck driver. I couldn't even spurt out a word of warning before the weird man flashed a long blade, reached around, and slit the tow truck driver's throat. A heavy splash of blood spurted against my window. I screamed at the horrid act that was taking place in front of me. I looked up and saw the weird man staring at me with those callous eyes. I fully expected him to come after me next. Instead, he flipped me off before rushing into the tow truck and driving away. I don't know how long I sat there in a daze before the police showed up. Later at the police station, when I finally started getting my wits about me, the police informed me that the weird man had not yet been captured. They also told me that the car he was driving when he pulled up was stolen, and that in the trunk of that vehicle were the decapitated heads of three women. Had I accepted his offer of aid, 
my head would have been in that trunk too. The House Down the Block My name is Rusty. This happened when I was in 8th grade. I had been home from school for about two hours and was finishing up my homework when my buddy Bert called me. He sounded charged up when he told me that I had to get over there right away. And by over there, he meant the house down the block. He was house-sitting for a well-to-do couple. I didn't really know them, but they stood out due to their orderly appearance. The man of the house was always donning a suit and tie. He kept his hair slicked back, wore thin-rimmed eyeglasses, and kept perfect posture when he walked. The lady of the house had wavy auburn hair that usually had a bow tied in it. She always wore a dress or a long skirt. They both came across as extremely proper. To my knowledge, they did not have any kids. Apparently, they knew Bert's parents and inquired as to whether he'd come to their house every day to feed their pet rats. Yeah, that's what I said, pet rats. I rode my bike to the house down the block. Bert was there with our rowdy buddy Jerry. They were super excited and giddily ushered me into the house, down a hall, and into a small bedroom. My jaw dropped and I stood in awe. They had found the holy grail of pornographic magazines. Every dirty magazine I had ever heard of was represented along with countless others. There were boxes upon boxes upon boxes. Time flew by. We had spent the entire night leafing through as many of the magazines as we could. It was getting late, so unfortunately we had to get back home. We all agreed that we'd meet back there the next day after school. The next day, we all hurried to the house down the block as soon as school was over. We immediately hit the magazines again for a couple hours, and then it entered my mind that if they had this impressive a collection of magazines, maybe they had something more substantial elsewhere in the house. Bert and Jerry's eyes lit up. We were all in agreement, and the adventure began. The first couple of things that stood out to me as we started searching through the house was a massive padlock they had on the door under the stairs. I assumed it led to a basement. The other thing was the room with the rats. When Bert said he had to feed their pet rats, I assumed they had two or maybe three rats. I wasn't even close. I had never seen anything like it before. This would have been the ultimate nightmare for those who fear rats. There was one gigantic rat enclosure. It was a glass aquarium. It must have been five feet tall and was as long as the room. 
There were several wooden levels and makeshift nesting areas within the habitat. There was even a little door that they could open to go into the enclosure with the rats. That's what Bert had to do when he fed them and changed their water. There must have been 50 rats in that thing, maybe more. Bert said they were friendly and didn't bother him when he entered their domain. While Bert and I were in the rat room, we heard Jerry enthusiastically yell, Come here, quick! We rushed toward his voice and found him in the master bedroom. And he had found the mother load. In the corner of the bedroom was an antique hutch. It had a small lock on it, but Jerry was a streetwise kid and had no problem picking it. Inside the hutch was a comprehensive collection of sex toys and bondage gear. It was vast and beyond our wildest imaginations. And then there were the pictures. Tons of them. The first photos we saw were a series of naked photos of the man of the house, which were just gross. Then we found nude photos of the lady of the house. Let me tell you, she had quite the rockin' body underneath those conservative dresses she always wore. Then there were naked pictures of other people that we didn't recognize, but the photos were clearly taken by the couple. Apparently they were swingers. There were many pictures of them engaged in sexual intercourse with other people. And then things took a disturbing turn. There were a series of photos of cheerleaders. Young cheerleaders. They appeared to be of an early high school age. The photos were close-ups of the girls' crotches when they did their high kicks. Apparently, this couple had a camera with a high-quality telephoto lens and would sit in the stands of sporting events and take inappropriate pictures of these girls. There were also videotapes. Plenty of them. The first one we watched was of the man and the woman of the house having sex. The next one was the man of the house tied up on a bed and being whipped by the lady of the house who was clad in a tight leather outfit. The next few videos we watched were group sex videos involving the couple and many others. The last one we watched was troubling. The girl in the video appeared to be in her mid-teens. She was naked and tied to a post. She was crying and begging whoever was taking the video to let her go. Then the video abruptly ended. I was starting to feel pretty uneasy about it all. I could tell Bert was too, but Jerry was still eager to continue searching for more after he found a set of keys in the hutch. He was excited when he said, I bet one of these is for the padlock on the basement door. He hurried to the door, tried several keys, and then sure enough, one of them fit the lock. When he twisted the key, the lock popped open. I was about to object, but Jerry flung the door open and raced down the rickety stairs to the basement. Bert and I hesitated, but followed him down after we heard him say, What the hell is that? When we got into the basement, we saw Jerry standing with his mouth agape. He was spooked and nothing spooked Jerry. We slowly turned to view whatever it was that he was staring at. 
In the middle of the basement floor was a large circle. The circle was black. I had the impression that it was drawn with charcoal. Within the circle was the drawing of a hexagon. Within the hexagon was a series of small five-pointed stars. There were several candles lining the circle. All had been burned down to near puddles of cooled wax. I pointed out the obvious red stains in the middle of the circle. None of us had to say it. We all thought it was blood. It was clear that someone had wiped the majority of the blood up, but remnants had seeped into the cement floor staining it. As Bert and I continued staring at the bloodstains, Jerry started moving around the basement investigating further. He stopped at something hanging on a nail on a wooden pillar by one of the walls. He observed the item for a few seconds and let out a moan of disgust. What is it? He didn't answer. He just dropped it and ran back upstairs. Bert and I stared at each other for a moment. We were scared, but had to see what the object was that scared Jerry enough to make him run out of the basement like he did. We moved cautiously toward the item. It had the appearance of some kind of jewelry. It was various shades of white, gray, and light yellow. When we finally reached it, I picked it up. It took us both several seconds to decipher what it was, and then it dawned on us. It was a necklace made out of human teeth. I had the presence of mind to hang the necklace back on the nail that Jerry removed it from. I didn't want there to be any evidence that we had been down there. We went back upstairs and spent hours cleaning everything up. We did all we could to make it appear that we had not seen anything. Jerry even wiped down the padlock and handles of the hutch to remove any fingerprints. Before we left the house that night, the three of us made a pact that we would forget everything we found that day and never tell anyone else about it. We feared that if the homeowners ever found out, it may be our blood seeping into the cold basement floor of the house down the block. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Be sure to visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for the free newsletter and receive a free book and movie. We'll see you soon. Very soon.